This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. In the book of Jeremiah, the first chapter, verses 1 through 12, we read the following. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. And the word of God came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, God, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But God said to me, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the sovereign God. Then God reached out God's hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of God came to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. And God said to me, You've seen correctly. For I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Now, in podcast number 31, we talked about the call of Isaiah to become a prophet. This text that I've just read presents us with Jeremiah's call. It's it's not nearly as dramatic as Isaiah's call, but just as profound nonetheless. Now, some biblical scholars think that Isaiah grew up in a priestly family and had aristocratic connections. If so, living in the lap of luxury might require an earth-shattering experience to dislodge him from it and to set him on a path to become a mouthpiece for the poor and the disenfranchised. Jeremiah, on the other hand, was an insecure young man, as we can see in this present text we've just looked at. A dramatic demonstration might just scare the hell out of Jeremiah. So therefore, God approaches Jeremiah like a frightened deer, offering a calming reassurance. Now, if any of this is close to being accurate, I kind of find great comfort in the idea that God comes to each of us in ways that we can receive and and that we need. God says in this text, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, this is not a one-size-fits-all kind of God. She or he knows what makes each of us tick, knowing each of us by name. So the question begs, what kind of God do you know or do you relate to or do you think about? There's a young, quirky Irish philosopher I get a kick out of named Peter Rollins. He teaches that in our human condition, we struggle between what we have and what we want, who we are and who we want to be, and between having to decide and not knowing what really to do. Now, these kinds of uncertainties invade nearly every aspect of our daily lives. For existence, on my morning drive through Starbucks, A kind voice addresses me through a faceless speaker asking if I want dark, 
light roast or decaf? What kind of cream would I like? Half and half, soy, almond, skim, 2% or whole? And then there are at least four kinds of non-caloric sweeteners. Simply ordering my coffee in the morning can be an existential nightmare. When our struggle with these existential uncertainties, we look for some wisdom to guide us, some trustworthy repository of knowledge to help us make the right decision for the big choices in our lives, like how do I know which school I should attend, or what job is the best for me, or which house, who should I partner with? And in my line of work as a hospice chaplain, these questions are often medically related. Should I do the chemotherapy? What about alternative therapies? What about acupuncture? Should I do the surgery? Where can we find help to give us solid direction for such uh, looming questions that really are unanswerable? Now, some folks gravitate towards the God of reason, and they rely on science, data, and the current literature to help them make these choices. Others, the more religious of us, rely on God or their understanding of God or their own innate inner in, uh, intuition, their gut feeling. Now, depending on the importance of the choice that we have to make and how we're feeling on any particular day, we may choose one or the other of these sources for guidance, or even a combination of both. Well, for the past several hundred years, many good people have pitted, pitted science against religion in a battle royale to argue which is the more trustworthy source of truth to guide us through the uncertainties of life. One of the reasons I like Peter Rollins so much is he points out this is a false dichotomy. Real life is living with the tensions of these decisions that we have to make, living in the unknown. And the wonderful Buddhist teacher Pema Chodron makes the same exact argument. Learning to live within the uncertainty is really living. The not knowing what to do for sure brings us into contact with the present moment, which is all we really have anyway. Now, wherever you are right now listening to this podcast, and wherever I'm at right now doing whatever it is I'm doing, we're both surrounded by a matrix of light, sounds, waves, beyond our ability to perceive. For example, there are ultraviolet and infrared lights beyond our eyes' limits to see. There are sounds surrounding us in frequencies that our ears cannot hear. There are countless Wi-Fi and radio wave bands piercing through our bodies that we can't feel. And these are only the attributes of physics that we have tools to evaluate. What else might there be surrounding us right now that we don't have the empirical ability to measure? Things that might influence or skew our view of what is real. Living in the midst of this small swath of all that with our five senses we can perceive is what we call reality. Well, now, just as these invisible physical attributes always surround us, so too our perception of reality is also tainted by the unseen influences in our lives. 
And these would include our life experiences, our early family relationships, our culture, our geography, our friends, and our concepts of the divine. Now, in times past, I have referred to these attributes, these unseen influences, like our life experiences, our early family relationships, our culture, geography, friends, and God concept as putting together an operating system whereby you and I navigate and live in this world, an operating system like you might use on your computer. If, for example, you have a, a PC, you probably are running uh, Windows as an operating system. Or if uh, you use an Apple product, you probably have an iOS system. And these operating systems are invisible. They, they run in the background, but they make possible the use of the different particular programs you and I may want to use, whether they're games or they're a word processing program or they're a slide program or an audio or visual program. This operating system makes them all work, and the operating system is unseen. It, it runs invisibly in the background. And I suggest that these characteristics I've mentioned are an operating system that invisibly runs in your and my background to help us navigate through life. And for the next few podcasts, I particularly would like to focus on the attribute that is uh, referred to as our God concept uh, and how that might have influence how you and I actually see the world and live in this world. Thanks again for allowing me to journey with you for these few moments in your world today. As a concluding uh, quote or thought for this podcast, I'd like to share with you uh, some really wonderful words from John O'Donohue. John O'Donohue was an Irish poet and writer uh, who died, I guess, I don't know, five, seven, eight years ago. But this is what John O'Donohue says about this topic of a God concept. He says, May your concept of God be feisty and imaginative and rich enough to incorporate all the hungers of your heart. <laughs>